Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, listeners. Tim Sylvie here. Before we introduce today's special guest, I need to dive across the airwaves to bring in today's co-host. And I'm happy to say I'm back alongside the man who's commentating in Formula 3 this weekend for Sky Sports. So he's on Aussie time. So who knows what is going to happen here? It could be a disaster. Might fall asleep mid-interview. Harry Benjamin, how are you? No, far too professional to do that. I am uh, a tad tired. I stayed up very late. We're recording this on, what, the Thursday. So I stayed up very late last night, got up early this morning, so I can have an afternoon nap and then get up for the evening to do practice F3. Then it's quali. And then obviously there's F1 going on as well. So it's it's uh, it's it's a struggle. But, you know, you power through and you yeah. want run on adrenaline. So uh, I've got all my track. I've done all my notes here. I've got my little track notes already. Well done. Look so, at that. Look at the you know, deep, all color coded. Look at you. Yeah, there's no color. There's no actual reasoning for the color code. I just get bored and change colors. So there's Fair no enough. actual reason for it. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm doing all right, mate. Doing all right. Good, 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 good. Um, Shall I introduce today's guest? I think so. Let's do it. So today we're delighted to be joined by a man who'll be familiar to many of you. Uh, He's a graduate of a university in Scotland, St Andrews, I believe, before setting out on a wide and varied journey through professional gambling, sports management, startups, investments, and of course, Rich Energy, a brand that went on to sponsor the Haas F1 team, forever stamping itself into Formula One history books and one of the key moments in the sport that we all love. We're here to learn more about his life, career, thoughts, and opinions. William Story, a massive welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you, and thanks for the invite. Yeah, very welcome. It- now, where, where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from my offices in central London. So, uh, a laundry, as they say in France. There we <laughs> Very nice. Oh, it's a pleasure to uh, to meet you, and thank you for giving up your time. Um, we start all podcasts by sort of going back to the beginning. Um, I just, I just have a my- can of... Uh, oh. Yeah. that I've uh, got here because I am a little bit parched. Yeah, always on brand. Always. Oh, I love that Absolutely. you could hear the. I, I, <laughs> I could do with a little bit of rich energy right now. I'm a bit parched. Well, you know what? Actually, William, first question. I mean, that is where can we... By the way, absolutely phenomenal. There you go. Where do we get it from? Where? Well, you can get it from lots and lots of different places. Where are you? Where are you based? 
I'm in London. I'm in South London. Okay, so I think we had. I mean, I think this will be an expansive conversation. But as of today, mm. um, we've got about 400 independent outlets in London. We've gone. Okay. We've gone very much up market. So, um, you know, in terms of distribution and retail, that's a big, big subject. We're obviously working with experts in that, and you know, our brand value is really important to us. So, we generally in hotels, bars, nightclubs. Uh, casinos, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, in terms of supermarkets, we would go on to, to 2019, etc. But that's the answer. I mean, largely in central and southwest London at the moment. Um, okay, well, well, we'll come on to that, as you say, more. But we, we want to start at the very beginning. So before all of this, and rewind the years, and just to find out a bit more about you and your life, where you grew up, what was life like for, for a young William story? Very pleasant, very nice. Um, lived in uh, West London. Um, very, very, you know, normal. Very nice childhood. I guess that, that's the answer. Well, did you always have a sort of penchant for for going into sort of business making, entrepreneur skills, that kind of thing? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. As a kid, you can't possibly say, can you? I mean, you're just having fun and uh, enjoying yourself. I don't think uh, any kid who's thinking about business, um, I think, it's probably got something wrong with them. But uh, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Not, not really. No. You, you uh, fast forward a few years, and you went to university in St Andrews. Uh, how do you reflect back on that time? Did you enjoy university? I found it a pain in the ass. Um, learnt nothing and <laughs> had a terrible time. But uh, what did you make of it? Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Yes, yeah, St Andrews. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Stunning. I, mean, um, I, I think in the in the old days, I'm 44 now, but in in my era, there was you you put down six universities on the UCAS form. Um, so I used it as an opportunity to go and explore parts of the country I hadn't seen. Um, I actually had a place at Oxford to read chemistry, um, but I went to Durham, Exeter, St. Andrews. I, I was thinking about Imperial as well. Um, but St. Andrews is such a beautiful place that, um, you know, I thought it was bonkers not to go and live there. You know, people pay to go on holiday there and it was uh, yeah. it's a really part of the world. It's a lovely place. Have you been there, Harry? It's awesome. If if you love golf, there's literally nowhere better. You've got the old course in Andrews Bay, all these yeah. stunning links courses. It's a, it's an absolutely beautiful place. And and after university, there's there's obviously various reports about what you're you were involved with, whether it was a a tobacco farmer in Zimbabwe, uh professional gambling, um, managing boxes. What what came first after university? Well, I think obviously just going back to university quickly, I mean, obviously the, it was fantastic and um, mainly all about wine and women with a little bit of studying fitted in on the side. But um, after university, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I mean, hundreds of different things. Um, so the gambling, which you referenced, I was doing whilst I was a student. Um, I've always had, you know, always enjoyed sport. And, you know, I, I think doing a maths degree, obviously, you know, some kind of appreciation of numbers and uh it was something i really enjoyed and i think um that was in the late 90s so i think there was the advent of uh, offshore bookmaking was just getting started so there was a company called i think they were world bookmakers limited who just set up in gibraltar and i remember them sending me checks at st andrews which was uh which was great so i thought oh maybe there's a future in this um but yeah it was um gambling's always been an interest of mine well, I know Tim is also a big boxing fan, and that's something you're involved with as well. Um, go on, Tim. I think that you want to talk about the boxing, don't you? 
Uh, well, I love box. I'm I'm really into my heavyweight boxing, and um, I I think at the moment it's a it's a fascinating industry with all the chatter that's going around with Fury and Usyk and AJ and Fury and all the the rise of people like Jake Paul. Do do you still follow it? Do you still have that that passion for the sport? Yeah, I love boxing. I mean, I've um, I started working in boxing seriously in about 2012. Um, and I had, uh, I was a manager and commercial advisor. So I, I had started off with um, Frank Bullioni, who became WBO um, European super middleweight champion. I then had Nick Blackwell, who became British middleweight champion. Um, and then I got a lucky break by meeting Gennady Golovkin, who was uh, Triple G, who um, when, I, when I first met him, he was relatively unknown. He was fighting on HBO After Dark. Um, and I started working with him at that stage. And then my final fight with him was Canelo, um, which was in Vegas in 2017, I believe, the first one. And um, yeah, in his first fight with me, I think he earned 400,000. And in his last fight, he got 30 million. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that, that was a step up. But boxing, boxing is a unique uh, business and sport that most people I don't think quite understand and you either get it or you don't um it's one of those things a little bit like horse racing um people are either experts or clueless um I think Matchroom have done a brilliant or did a brilliant job because obviously they had a brilliant relationship with Sky over many many years uh, which was built up by Barry Hearn um I think by the way leaving Sky was a catastrophic mistake by them but uh, that's a different story um but it's a very interesting scene um I mean, I think uh, the Furiosic fight is the one that should happen. Um, one of the things that's frustrating when you work with um, inboxing is that a lot of the PR of these guys is, oh, you know, I'm a fighting man, I'm this, I'm that. You know, there are so many fighters who swerve other opponents. You know, there's very few. One of the most refreshing things about Golovkin was that he would fight anybody. Mm. He would fight Andre Ward, he'd fight Carl Frotch, he'd fight people who are much bigger than him. None of them wanted to go near him because, you know, at his peak, he was an absolute destroying, you know, he was, a, he was an absolute wrecking ball. Um, and the heavyweight scene, what's frustrating about it is the only fighters who will actually fight anybody are the likes of Chisora and Dillian White, who are probably like B-string in terms of elite level at the moment. And, you know, I think Fury, I've seen Fury, you know, pull out of uh, fights. I mean, he, many years ago, he swerved David Price, who was at that time the British heavyweight champion, who was knocking everyone out, eventually lost to Tony Thompson. Fury deliberately swerved that fight. You know, he pulled out the Alexander Ustinov fight after the weigh-in. Um, so, you know, what's going on with Fury Usyk, I don't know, but boxing's all about risk-reward. And Usyk is high risk and relatively low reward. So you've got somebody like Joshua, who is a very marketable box office fighter, but who's frankly useless at the, at the top, top level. He is a much better bet for somebody like Fury because it's an easy payday. Um, you know, he'll run rings around Joshua, um, you know, beat him up for fun, um, likely go 12 rounds because Fury doesn't have a great deal of power, but he's a fantastic boxer. And then you get the rematch. Yeah. So both of those guys want to avoid Usyk. Um, but obviously, you know, Wild is another name in there. Um, and, you know, it's it's a very interesting scene at the moment. Yeah, I love it. I find it so fascinating. Well, before, I don't want to get too bogged down in boxing, but I'm curious to what you think about the rise of the YouTubers. And there was the Tommy Fury, Jake Paul fight recently, which Tommy Fury won. Um, but 
only only just one really um what do you what do you make of all that do you agree with it or do you think it's a bit of a flash in the pan well, i think i think it as if it's a circus and it's a commercial circus then i think it's it's very good for those fighters um and i actually helped bring ksi into boxing um back in about 2013 uh, and he'd never had a pair of gloves on and we took him down to the uh, TKO Trad Gym in Canning Town and he, he did some training with Nick Blackwell and Bullioni who I was working with. Um, from a purist point of view, from a boxing fan's perspective, it's Mickey Mouse and it, it's an absolute joke. Um, I mean, I would knock out KSI in 30 seconds, you know, and I'm not a boxer. Um, so for him to be purporting um, to be a, you know, a, any kind of credible professional boxer is actually an embarrassment. Um, but commercially as a circus, if it's WWF, you know, it, then it, it's good for, for them and their fans. But uh, I think it's actually discredits professional boxing to have effectively lower level than pub fighters masquerading as elite fighters. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to sort of separate it, aren't they, from sort of influencer boxing and then there's pro and amateur boxing too. Very different And it sells his drink. But, um, yeah. It, it, abs- prime, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, done, he's done extremely well. And, um, and and on that basis, I mean, KSI was a really interesting guy because he is he is very intelligent. I mean, it was interesting because he set up as a computer game uh, promoter or, or he was analysing games, reviewing games. And um, he was, you know, he was very sort of urban and street and he had this uh, big following. But in reality, he was a little public school boy from Kent who was sort of almost an actor. He, he, he was almost reminded me of Jack Whitehall. He was a guy who was very intelligent, quite entertaining, and was sort of turning his hand to various different things. And he, you know, he's become a very successful businessman and good luck to him. Um, I think, you know, in terms of brands, Prime has been commercially superb. What's what's its longevity? Really successful brands are all about the brand, not individuals. So where you align something to two, you know, people who've got a shelf life in terms of fame and success i think that's you know it's going to be a great success for a short period of time i wouldn't want to be an investor in it now might have been two years ago but um yeah it's they've done very well and and good luck to them it's fascinating to hear all that actually let's bring it back um to to current day and what what you're up to obviously we became we know you through rich energy and formula one but before we get into that what other businesses are you currently involved with? What do you do outside of Rich Energy? Um, well, I've got a lot of different businesses and interests. I mean, I, I'm actually an art dealer. Um, so I deal with a lot of classics and um, if you like sort of pre-18th century arts because I've, I've been collecting art for many, many years and I, and I really enjoy it. Um, I have a technology business that I created in 2019 called Wolf Data Systems, which is uh, started off as a technology reseller, but we've now got a lot of proprietary technology, and that's growing a thousand percent year on year. So that's very good. And I've got a brilliant team of young, young people who are sort of really helping me drive that forward. So that's brilliant. Um, and I'm doing, you know, I'm involved still in boxing as an advisor. I manage a couple of fighters, so I'm, I'm doing lots of different things. But primarily, Rich Energy and Wolf Data Systems are probably my two main things at the moment. What 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 is your sweet spot in terms of? what you offer as a businessman is it is it marketing brand building like if if you were a consultant what's your elevator pitch how how would you describe yourself um well it's always difficult to be uh you know objective on that but i guess i'm very enthusiastic um and i you know common sense you know i cut, I cut out the nonsense i mean the reality is that when you set everything up for nothing you're aware that overhead's the enemy of business 
Um, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how profligate big organizations are. Um, and, you know, you look at, you examine almost any business out there above a thousand employees and there are glaring improvements that you can make. I think the politics of organizations beyond a certain number of staff comes in and, and then you get people sort of running their own little personal fiefdoms. So I think, you know, what would I do if I went into a business almost without exception? I would increase revenues very dramatically and I'd cut overheads and I would distill in all the staff, you know, what is the vision of this business? What do we stand for? How do we make money? Um, you know, it's remarkable. If you go into a company and ask the average member of staff, how does your business make money? What's its strategy? What does it stand for? You know, you, the, the answers would be quite embarrassing. I think you have to have a mission and, um, you know, just common sense. And, and I think the other thing is that you just really need to look after people. If you, if you, you know, reward people, if you trust people, if you promote them, if you pay them very well, um, and you win together and lose together, what you'll get is a lot of loyalty from those people. And, you know, I've worked with people for 20 years. And one thing, you know, I'm a very flawed individual in some ways, but I'm a very loyal person. I think that's really, really important. Do, do you think, um, is there a difference between the, the sort of public persona of William's story and and that inner circle, you know, that that trusted group of people that you talk about that you're you're loyal to? Because I think one of the things that we just we, we put a post out or had put a post on his Twitter yesterday to say that we were going to interview you today. And, and it's so you, you, you're so polarizing. Why do you think there's that public perception of you? And is it very different to the the, the perception that, that those on your inner circle may see of you? Well, I mean, I, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. I mean, you know, I'm not somebody who's overly burdened with worrying what other people think. Um, what I would say is that the vast majority of my detractors have never met me. Um, and, you know, if a journalist who doesn't know me writes something, then it's up to them. It's entirely their prerogative. I mean, there's no mileage in concerning yourself with it. But there are, you know, hundreds of people who've worked with me for many, many years who I would like to think would tell you some good things. So, you know, that's good enough for me. This is why I really wanted to, uh, when Tim said, do you want to do you want to interview William's story? I was like very keen because all I've ever heard about you is is through, you know, F1 journalism, you know, and, and things on broadcast and, and obviously the controversy with, with sponsorship. But despite that, you know, you don't care what people think about you or what people say or, or what the public persona is, surely in your line of business reputation is is quite an important thing especially when dealing with you know other motorsports or other forms of sport has that not affected the business when it comes to you reaching out to other teams or or, or you know I, I see you talking about wanting to come in back into formula one why, why would any f1 team go back to, to having you after seeing all the controversy with Haas that's a great question I mean I, I would say that you know, it, it works both ways. You know, there's actually a lot of people who um, have dealt with me and, and have worked with me and, and they, they're very positive. So reputation is an interesting one because it depends what perspective you're looking at. I mean, you know, building Wolf, there was a lot of concerns with, you know, a lot of our corporate partners. We work with a lot of multi-billion pound companies, you know, at, is a slightly, you know, outspoken or controversial CEO or whatever, is that going to be a problem? And for the vast majority of people, it isn't. You know, I mean, I think intelligent people can make up their own minds. It's very clear that we were a disruptor, a small company that had the temerity to take on the likes of Red Bull. Um, and just because, you know, if you like the corporate machine or, you know, various journalists who have various people who employ them have a particular narrative, that's not necessarily reality. 
Um, and there are a lot of people in Formula One at a very senior level. You know, there are two or three owners of teams today who are very good personal friends of mine. So, you know, and they saw what happened. They obviously saw under the bonnet. They realized what was going on with the politics with Red Bull, etc. And they had a great deal of empathy with our position. And in fact, I think that those three people in particular would be very, very supportive of us coming back. I mean, I think what was interesting is that when we were in Formula One in 2019, there was this uniform analysis of, of you know, our competitors, if I could put it that way. Um, and I think what happened in Abu Dhabi really shone a light into some of the politics in Formula One. Um, and I think that that probably would give intelligent observers pause for thought on, you know, how it really works, you know. And if you've got a small company who are, you know, a little bit different, um, potentially not massively conformist, going up against the 70 billion pound beverage business who wield huge clout within the sport. I think even when we were in there, Red Bull had spent four billion pounds. Clearly, they had a lot of weight. Um, in 2017, I tried to buy a Formula One team. I had the money, um, you know, to buy Force India. We had a fantastic business plan. Um, I went, I agreed a deal with Vijay Malia. I went to sign the contract with him. And literally, he was warned off by lawyers whilst we were sat there ready to sign contracts. And at the same meeting, he got an email from Carlos Slim Jr., who was Sergio Perez's manager, basically saying that Sergio was suing them in the court the next day for £8 million from memory, um, which effectively forced the administration. Now, that administration, you, you know, you're talking about experiences, was very, very eye-opening. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was a shark pool. And, uh, you know, I think what happened, you know, Mercedes were very, very supportive of Stroll and he was the preferred owner. Um, and in the end, he got a team for absolute peanuts. Um, he has subsequently done a brilliant job, by the way. I mean, I'm very, very objective and fair. He's invested. I think the Aston Martin brand is superb. And I think, you know, clearly their performance is a testament to the work they've done. So I applaud um, what they've done as a team. Um you know, some very, very good people around Stroll. I mean, he inherited Pierre Cardin at 18, you know, so he's not self-made, that's for sure. Uh, but he's got a guy behind him who's called Silas Chow, who's from Hong Kong, who's a very, very well-funded, intelligent guy. Um, you know, and I think he, he's got, you know, some good people behind him. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was very, very interesting. But I guess that's the politics of, of sport. Um, but, you know, it was, it was actually was a very good deal. I mean, you know, the VJ Malia, I'll tell you the numbers. VJ Malia was asking a faintly ludicrous 220 million. We um, we had that money, by the way. Um, we thought we would get it for about 110, 120, which I felt was a really good deal because we could turn an operationally loss making business um, into an operationally profitable one within probably a quarter. Um, it was interesting to me at that stage that Force India was deemed the most best or the best run, most efficient Formula One team at that time. I think it made annual losses of circa only 10 million, which is much smaller loss than most F1 teams. Um, and the idea was we could then buy that asset, build it up, have the rich energy media value um, on top, you know, effectively free of charge. Um, and that was a very good model. And I think the subsequent growth of Formula One teams and Formula One as a sport has vindicated that because that team now would be worth at least four or five hundred percent of what we were going to buy it for. So, you know, it, it's it's a sport that's on the rise, and I think it's uh, you know it's a very interesting time. 
Yeah, yeah. It's very much a sport on the rise. And I think, you know, Liberty Media have, have done a terrific job, you know, opening up the sport to the masses, uh, particularly in the States. And and you obviously did enter Formula One. We had um, the, the Haas Formula One team deal. What What was it that drew you to Haas? Was it a case of they're the best option available to us? Or were, did you specifically go in thinking that's the team I want to align with? No, not at all. After we were sort of rebuffed in the administration process on Force India, I was very much of the view, well, look, I'm carrying on with Rich Energy. You know, we had partnerships at that time with West Ham United. We had partnerships with Hugo Boss Sailing. We were we were scaling up in all sorts of different sports. So although I'm a Formula One fan, I'm a big motorsport fan, um, I wasn't, you know, massively wedded to it. I wanted to own a team. I wasn't really interested in being a sponsor. Um, I, You know, I felt that we wanted to be a bigger player in the sport. Um, then what happened was three teams came out of the woodwork to effectively court us to, to come and work with them. I think sponsorship in Formula One's a very interesting topic. Um, but anyway, you know, McLaren and Williams in particular came out and approached us. Would we like to work with them um, as sponsors or title sponsors? We entered into negotiations with both of those teams over probably six months um, we went to the McLaren Technology Center and they had the full liveried up rich energy McLaren. Um, and then we had uh, went to um, Grove in Oxfordshire for the Williams factory and they did the same thing, both of whom had interesting offers on the table. Um, of the two, um, I felt that Williams was probably a better bet um, because I think, um, well, just for a variety of different reasons, uh, particularly sort of the management of, of uh, company um and then we got you know we got a knock on the door from Haas would you be interested and the deal that we were able to negotiate was vastly better um you know we would effectively could assume identity of the team it was a big thing for me that the car became black and gold so neither neither McLaren or Williams were prepared to offer that they'd they'd offer us naming rights and title sponsorship um so that that's what happened so you know we managed to negotiate a deal with Haas that gave us de facto the identity of the team which was rich energy Haas f1 with the fia and changed the livery to black and gold so i felt okay well for you know tens of millions um we're getting value that you know is not bad at all um and, and i think that turned out to be you know it was certainly the best deal on the table will you be back in formula one um, I would think almost certainly. Um, I think with whom is a really interesting question and in what capacity, because um, I would like to own a team. And now to buy a team now is going to cost me three or four times the amount that it would have cost me in 2019. So rather like trying to buy a house for a million pounds and going back three years later and finding it's four or five million pounds, that's a big, um, you know, that's a big pill, a bit of pill to swallow in a way. Um, when you try to buy a million. But um, we, we'll see. I mean, you know, so I've got some friends who own teams. Um, I think think for us, clearly, we need to sort of recalibrate what we're doing. Um, and I think it's really important for me to, to realise and analyse the strengths and weaknesses. The truth of the matter is that Formula One, whether you like it or not, has changed a lot. It is a very, very corporate world now. Um, it remains a brilliant platform, no question. Uh, probably... Um, the best or certainly the best motorsport platform in the world by a country mile. Um, so as a consumer brand, as an energy drink, clearly it's of huge value to us. Um, but, you know, do I need to go under a corporate umbrella 
um, do I need to work with a team, with a group of PR people and, uh, you know, shall we say, sort of people who speak the language of, of the corporate world a little bit better? Possibly. Um, I think you need to be pragmatic and learn. But I think it's, it's when, not if. Um, but I think we're currently cracking on with the day job um, whilst we sort of think about it. With the, the Haas deal, despite everything that happened, you know, before all that kicked off and you, you had the issues with White, et cetera, did, how did it feel to see that black and gold car come out with rich energy emblazoned on the side, it, it, putting aside the business side to it and, you know, the mass awareness and all the, all the other benefits that came with it? From a personal perspective, how did it feel to see that on the side of a car? To be honest, it didn't really mean much to me at all. Um, that's the harsh truth. Um, ultimately, you know, you, you expect these things. If you're trying to build something, you know, clearly that's what you want to do. You know, if, if, if you're there to win, you shouldn't be shocked if you win. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, listen, it, we, we were on track. You know, it, it wasn't displeasing, but, you know, I just thought, right, what's the next challenge now? How do we crack on with it? And clearly the workload had gone up massively uh, with that deal. Um, you know, we had supermarkets knocking on our door suddenly, um, you know, and we had all you know, a lot of distribution and commercial deals that I was actively engaged in. I mean, Rich Energy was always effectively me. Um, you know, I, I was I was the marketing department. I was the finance department. I was the logistics department. So ultimately, I was very heavily engaged in, in everything. Now, obviously, I subbed out certain work. We had various different partners, but all decisions were made by myself. Um, so I had a lot to do. So, I mean, it, it, in the end, I think at the, um, you know, I was the guy who actually was, you know, at the launch in Barcelona on the testing. I was there for the least amount of time because I had a lot of work to do. Yeah. Would you would you ever, with everything that's happened, all the water under the bridge in terms of um, rightly or wrongly, the public uh, or, or general race fan perception of rich energy and, and you individually, would you ever consider a, a position where you get yourself back into the sport but you put you you have you hire someone who becomes the the face the public face of rich energy that has that perhaps uh maybe toes the line more less polarizing that can really be the sort of knight in shining armor that comes along to put that different spin on rich energy would that be something that you would consider do you mean sort of rich energy's uh helmet marco or christian horner is that what you're saying uh, perhaps some more d- diplomatic individuals, but like you know, it's just someone who's who's been there, done it, got that business now, so like you have, but allows you to do you know the hardcore businessman stuff, and they be this public, warm, slightly more fluffy, f- fluffy face. I mean, you've got quite a fluffy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
face, a tremendous beard. But, uh, you know, the, this a slightly softer approach to dealing with the media I, and the I, teams. I, I think, yeah, I think that, you know, clearly you'd have to, you know, it'd be worth looking at that, definitely. Um, and, and the reality is that for five years, Rich Energy was, you know, I was doing 18 hours a day working on it. It was my absolute, you know, main project. I've now got a lot of other business interests. So as far as I'm concerned, I just want Rich Energy to flourish. Um, and there's no question we need to bring in some, you know, some smart suits and, uh, you know, some some slick PR men to uh, to, to front it up. And I, I, absolutely. I mean, you've got to be pragmatic. Um, and, and I would suggest that, you know, for me, the priority is always the success of the business. Um, so, you know, whatever the, the most common sense approach to that is, we, we'd follow no question. Uh, outside of um, Formula One, you've been involved with West Ham, BSB, British Touring Cars, and and others. What are you involved with at the moment? Where where is Rich Energy sponsoring if they are at all? So, since, ironically, since Formula One, since July nineteen, when I had the uh, run in with Red Bull, uh, etc. Um, we've actually won several championships. So we won the uh, Ducati Cup. So Rich Energy Ducati um, won that. We actually won British Superbikes. Rich Energy AMG Racing won British Superbikes with Bradley Ray last year. And we've actually won the British Touring Cars independent teams with Rich Energy BTC Racing last year. So that's three titles last year in motorsport, which outside of uh, potentially the top two and possibly not even including them is certainly the most successful energy drink uh, in motorsport in 2022 by some way. Um, what are we doing this year? Well, we, we've just penciled um, or penned, I should say, um, a number of deals um, which will be announced in the coming weeks. But we have um, obviously we had our 22, you, you know, about 23. Um, we will have a TT team. Um, we will have a motocross team. Um, we will have um, some GT racing uh, with Rich Energy and we will have some pretty well-known um, stars of the sport as ambassadors. Um, I think in terms of um, the big ticket item, um, we've got a few options which we're considering at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's where we are. So we'll be on a minimum of three motorsport teams this year. And with that success last year, do you see direct translation into sales of Rich Energy? I mean, marketing is, I mean, brilliant question. Marketing is always difficult to quantify. I mean, accountants and finance directors always say if McDonald's stopped advertising, would it affect their sales one iota? What would probably happen is McDonald's profits for two or three years would go through the roof um, because they weren't spending the money in advertising. So the, the, very often there is no direct correlation, immediately quantifiable correlation between sales and um, and advertising. However, you know, if you're selling a car, you need to advertise it, clearly. Um, so I think there is a link, uh, but I think, you know, looking at ROI and, and how you actually invest capital is really interesting. I mean, for example, you know, if you went and paid 100 brilliant salesmen to go and pound the street selling rich energy, would that be more impactful than having, um, you know, a British touring car team? Probably would. You know, um, you know, what is your what is your message to the market? I mean, building brands is a very, very interesting thing, which I'm personally interested in. Most brands fall by the wayside. You know, they have a very short little period. Um, and then people like Mike Ashley, for example, has made a large part of his fortune by buying old distressed brands. You know, he's bought Dunlop, he's bought Slazenger, he's bought Kangol for absolute peanuts because they have that recognition factor. 
Um, so I think brands is a really interesting thing. Rich Energy, you know, I said at the outset when I created it, this will be a multi-billion pound brand. I don't quite know the exact execution of that in the next two or three years. That's a work in progress. But, you know, certainly um, hundreds of millions of people have heard of us. And certainly, although I'm partisan, we have a product and brand that I think is better than the market leaders. So as fundamentals, that's a really good platform to build from. Um, Clearly, we've made some mistakes uh, and clearly we've got into bed with the wrong people on occasion. Um, But again, you know, as long as you get out of bed and you're not married to them, then uh, no problem. Would you ever consider a relationship rather than with a team than with Formula One globally? The reason I say that is because then you would have that um, opportunity to have products in the paddock, in the paddock club, in some of the hospitality units, uh, trackside branding and so on, that sort of mass awareness, but also product in hand um, with all the sponsors and all the teams that, you know, they'd be going up to the bars in the paddock club and ordering their, you know, rich energy and vodka or whatever it might be. Is that ever been a consideration? I mean, that's a brilliant question. I mean, I'm obviously very familiar with the Rolex deal in Formula One, which was actually brokered by Jackie Stewart. And they, um, you know, they sponsor, as you say, with F1. They're a global partner of Formula One. Um, I'd I'd need to check uh, my court order with Red Bull on that one. Um, But I'd also, um, you know, I suspect that uh, if I bid X, they might come in and try and gazump it. So I think it's a good idea. But I think realistically, the only way... At the moment, we're going to get into Formula One is with a competitor of our main competitor, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, and through either title sponsorship or co-team ownership. But I think, you know, it, it's 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 quite funny, really. I mean, listen, it, it's, it's an interesting sport. Um, I think, you know, I guess as a gambling man, you know, do you think I've got the creativity and ability to get us back into Formula One? I know where my money is. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, it's we'll, we'll see. You know, it's all the proof of the uh, the puddings in the eating. Yeah, I think for me and some my my background is Formula One sponsorships. What I've done for the last sixteen years, and and for me, looking at it from an outsider's perspective, I think the idea of the sort of the white knight in shining armor that appeals to me as a consumer. I think if if they what what's clear talking to you is. You accept critique. You accept different people's opinions. You don't kick off if someone disagrees with you, which is a, is a great trait. And I think if if there was an opportunity for Rich Energy to come out and be sort of have a humble approach back into Formula One with a sort of slightly softer public facing persona and this sort of turning the brand, turning the ship around into the, a slightly different positioning, it could actually be quite an interesting prospect for for quite a number of teams. It's it's a fascinating it's fascinating thing to dive into and and we'll certainly keep tabs on it i'm sure we'll see richard it's not going to be the last time is it that we see rich energy in the formula one paddock it's going to be back i I certainly think so yeah now i'm curious to get behind the man a little bit what gets you out of bed in the morning what is it that motivates you i've heard you say before in another show it's it's not money so so what is it what gets you going Um, i like working hard i like the endeavor um i like you know high standards i like achievement fulfillment I like working with nice people. Um, you know, ultimately, you get out what you put in. You know, I mean, it's like an athlete. If you cheat, you, you don't get the performance. Do you? I mean, I, I think you know, if you enjoy life, you've got a joie de vivre. You work with good people, and um, you know, it's a blank page, isn't it? I mean, you know, you there's so many opportunities. There's so much amazing stuff that you can do, um, and I think you know. The, the worst thing you can do is sort of, you know, not not sort of make the most of your potential and, and grab your opportunities. So, 
I guess I just like working hard with nice people and, um, you know, I like to build things and, um, you know, we like to, to be successful at it. How do you relax? I'm assuming you're, you're, you know, a motorsport F1 fan. Do you like, do you watch the sport? Is that how you unwind? Um, I do. I mean, I am a fan. I, I mean, very honestly, I used to be more of a fan. Um, you know, I think the golden era of F1 was sort of late 80s, early 90s, where you had very high performance cars, but there was still huge driver input. Um, and there was, you know, it, it just had a slightly different feel to it. Um, but, you know, I love I love playing sport. I love, uh, you know, socialising, wine, women and song, um, that sort of thing. And you also say uh, uh, that, you know, you, you've got into bed with occasionally the wrong people. You know, maybe you learn from your mistakes and, you know, there's things you've done yourself. What what would you have done differently if you could? Um, well, I think, I think it's it's very easy to be wise after the event, isn't it? I mean, the, at the end of the day, you can only play the hand you've got. Um, and if you play the hand as well as you can, if somebody runs into the casino and steals all your chips, then, you know, that wasn't necessarily, it was sort of slightly out of your hands. I could never have foreseen that uh, Haas would be dishonest and disloyal. Um, I could never have foreseen that, um, you know, I would have uh, my main competitor launch repeated legal actions on what I personally felt was spurious grounds. Um, I, you know, I couldn't have foreseen that some investors who were enjoying stratospheric growth on their investment would be stupid enough to try and steal rich energy from me. Um, and try and take the business, you know. So I couldn't have foreseen those things. So the irony is that had I been less capable, I probably would have had less problems. So it's 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 one of those things, isn't it? You know. So I think it was it was really educational. You're always learning. You know, I say the first time in life's an experience. Second time's a mistake. Third time you're an unrepeatable word. Um, you know, we've had some experiences. We've made some mistakes. We're hopefully going to avoid being. Uh, unrepeatable words but before we come to our our final three i just i know we've spoken about it i know you're probably sick to death of talking about Hass and and how that all ended but you know you say they were dishonest disloyal yeah what 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 did they do what did they lie about well i mean i think very simply i did a deal with them i shook hands with gene and gunter i signed a contract I handed them many, many millions of pounds. I mean, that's another load of nonsense that was uh, repeated that we didn't pay. We paid every element of our contract, millions and millions of pounds. And they um, went behind my back, met with my opponents behind my back, clearly without my knowledge, and um, were involved in an attempt to unseat me. And, um, you know, Clearly, that's just unacceptable behaviour. I mean, I like to play with a straight bat, you know, and I've worked with people for decades on a handshake. And uh, ultimately, that's just unconscionable behaviour, morally, let alone legally. Um, and it's just unacceptable. You know, if I can't work with people I trust, I, I won't work with them. Um, so I think, you know, their conduct was was highly questionable. Um, and in fact, you know, one of the reasons, you know, I've said this, you know, when you're wrong, you can't be strong. So, you know, I think they were very concerned for a period of time that I would sue them, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm interested in building things and moving forward. You know, I'm not interested in getting mired in legal action. What I do think is that when we return to formula one, I will get great pleasure in beating so them. The, the I mean, it's fascinating. It's so, so interesting. So the, the scenario in my head, when you say that, and I appreciate, you know, you might not want to, or be allowed even to go into uh, specifics, but it sounds like, you know, Haas, 
or Red Bull perhaps met with Haas or even Monster. I know they're involved with Mercedes as well. They met with Haas and said, we don't want William Story, Rich Energy involved with Formula One. We don't, you know, the energy drinks manufacturer. Here's a bunch of money or here's a discount on an engine or whatever. Well, they can't do that because it's Ferrari, but some sort of perk, you know, sack Story off and, and Rich Energy and, and will cover anything you do, but you can take his money in the meantime. Am I in the rough ballpark there? Well, I think, I think you know, talk elegantly, but let's frame it in a sensible language. Um, our opponents have huge political weight in the sport um, and they use it. That's one way. That's one way of putting it. Um, and there were investors in Rich Energy who saw an opportunity to do a deal with Haas and my opponents and they collectively cooked up what they thought was a very clever move. I think their mistake was that they thought I was like them and that I would back down and or was so wedded to Formula One that, you know, that they had a sort of um, checkmate. So it's it's very unfortunate. I mean, commercially, they were just deeply stupid. Red Bull were delighted to get us out of the sport. Let's, let's be in no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, as I say, you, you know, I guess it's eye-opening. And in the future, what you'd have to do is make sure that you didn't give opponents an opportunity to do that. We've got uh, a final three questions, which we ask all of our guests. Um, I'll kick off first this week. Uh, what's got you excited at the moment, William? Blimey, that's, uh, that's a good one. Um, well, I'm not sure. Well, there's lots of ways to answer that, isn't there? But I'll be the polite one. Um, I would say, uh, bloody hell, excited. Uh, a horse race this afternoon where I've been given a tip for the favourite. Very good. Very nice. Um, how much of success do you put down to luck at right place, right time? And how much is down to sheer hard work and graft? Well, that's the old phrase, isn't it? The harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, I don't generally believe in luck. I think you make your own. Um, I think if you work hard, you generally get your results. Um, I think there's always a handful of exceptions to that. Um, you know, somebody inherits 500 million or, or somebody gets run over by a bus, you know, but the, re- the reality is that I think it's more hard work, but I think a good attitude makes a big difference. And, um, you know, and I think you do generally create your own luck. Final one for you. What are you scared of? Um, oh, I don't know. Um, nothing comes to mind. Red, red Bull? Uh, no, certainly not. Certainly not. Um, nothing really springs to mind. Um, I think uh, I can't really think of anything. I mean, I, I guess uh, losing loved ones prematurely would be the uh, the only thing I could think of. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Well, listen, it's been really interesting to hear your views. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, I can't. I, Thank you for being so direct. Yeah, as well. it's, 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 it's really good. And I, I, I'm looking forward to releasing this um, and seeing what the, the Twitter mobocracy uh, come up with. But um, it, it's been really good to talk to you. And we'll, we'll keep an eye on the brand for sure over the coming weeks and months and years and, and uh, see where we end up and see if we see you back in Formula One. Um, but uh, for now, William Story, thank you so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Take care. So we've just finished recording with Rich Energy's William Story, and I don't know what to make of it. Like I, I we, we, I don't we, know how that went. <laughs> we put this. Well, we we put out 
your tweet yesterday. Oh. Uh, well, actually, this is when this comes out. This will be Friday. So your tweet went out on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, Wednesday so night. So many people were like, saying, "Why are you giving it the time of day about William's story? Can you, uh, uh, you know, asking all these ridiculous questions like, what's he on? You know, uh, he just some of them are really like quite, quite yeah. nasty. Considering he's never um, actually done anything, you know." well i'm not gonna say criminal but anything you know to like he's not beating people up you know physically no he's he's not he's he's done some controversial things in a commercial sense and he's done some ropey things perceived in formula one as we know but it's it's interesting because there were certain parts of the interview where i felt like i've seen this before i've heard i've heard you say this before mm. in other podcasts or other he's youtube interviews lines there were other yeah, but there were other points where I thought, no, he's that's not an exclusive, but he's telling us he's speaking from the heart here, like it or not. Um, and 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 like I said to him when we were talking, I do feel like there's an opportunity for rich energy if he potentially removes himself. Well, that's from exactly firing clearly line. that sounds like what people have tried to do and like failed. You know, he talks about all these people going behind my back and, and, you know, I, and I, I kind of can half believe him about maybe there's a bit of Red Bull politics, particularly on the Formula One side, but we heard, you know, there was a whole palaver about the BSB team as well. And I, I'm just thinking that wasn't as clear cut as it seemed like it should have been when, when the, apparently the partnership was up, but it was actually handled by the rich energy distribution team, which is different to William's story, mm. but it, it, it's dodgy. And, it all comes back to him and you just think actually you clearly had some success with this you know okay i'm not seeing you in my local tesco or co-op or whatever with your cans but you've obviously done deals with high profile bars in bars soho and and, and yeah you know. well there, there was exactly there was that he put a post on instagram the other day uh talking about doing deals with some bars in soho and and it's it's there you can go and buy it um and you can get it from amazon prime and and all these kinds of things but I don't know. It's just, it's still, it's still such an enigma. This, this whole thing. You don't, I mean, I've never seen a can of rich energy. I wanted to ask him, I forgot, I think, or maybe I felt like we'd grilled him, but I wanted to ask him where, how does he make money? Like, does it come from, does rich energy actually make money or is it, is it an amalgamation of all your previous endeavors where, you know, your boxing or your, your technology company or whatever, you know, does rich energy actually make Mm enough money to buy a formula one team i can't imagine that well no that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be money from there it's mm. investor it's investor back money he, he'd have to he'd have to raise funds yeah. and and purchase it with a with a group but um you know which team he would go for i mean clearly it's not i don't think he has. he's got any options um, like we really audi are gonna become audi or oh, from gonna become audi yeah. you got the one, the one thing that popped yeah. into my head was uh, Alpha Tauri. Oh wait, no, obviously not. <laughs> so... No, and I was really interested about the the McLaren discussion. Uh, yeah. Like, I had no idea that he had had a meeting. He'd gone to the MTC to turn up to be greeted by a show car. So this is all supposedly. This is all supposedly. Branding. Yeah, yeah. But if that's because I've worked with McLaren a lot. And I've never heard that story. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I don't know, you, what do you believe? And it's so difficult when the, the public um, persona of him is so negative. And, and this is just why I think that, you know, in the right hands, it could, in your it hands. could work. But they need to sort out their... 
<laughs> give it to me. They need to sort out the distribution and they need a, a friendly face walking up and down. Do you remember the what happened? There was another energy cameras. company that was involved with F1 once. I think it was called Burn. Burn Energy. And they sponsored like Lotus. Yeah, that was that was McLaren, wasn't it? Wasn't that McLaren? No, was no, was they it? sponsored uh, Lotus. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, here it is. Oh, it, oh they're a monster company. The uh, okay. Because they disappeared, uh, but they obviously okay. got bought by Monster. And, but they, they were sort of like black in in their can so i suddenly mm. thought oh was that what was that rich energy like but no it wasn't no. but yeah i don't know it's just it's hella dodge for a start if uh <laughs> in my peak broadcasting vocabulary and it it he is clearly a, a a good talker because he can say a lot without saying a lot and and he, he sounds like he's being reasonable because he sort of opens up to being wrong and we've made mistakes and you know we you know we got to push through he's a perfect politician really well he is because i thought when i said to him uh, we've you got know, to balance the books outside in, <laughs> I, I, I would i would re- i would effectively replace you william i was expecting him to go you know to, to bite back on that a little mm-hmm. bit and he didn't he was very very measured and i had to say you know okay put aside all the all the press all the nonsense and all the um the shouting matches on on socials take him at face value when we stopped recording and when before we recorded i actually quite liked him like he's quite an engaging guy he asks questions he was chatty he was very grateful to be on the did you notice as well that when you said on the podcast that and you, you might see this if we put this up in video form um that when you said you were involved with formula one sponsorship and have been for the last 16 years he looked to his right and did a sort of eyebrow raise to um obviously mm, somebody off camera so I'm like, either he's like oh who the fuck's this guy or um he's yeah, like oh hello <laughs> here we go somebody we can work with uh we're proud to say that this podcast I mean, is sponsored did... by rich energy so <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's definitely uh, not not yet anyway it? not yet they've got money to, money to spare yeah. we'll take it <laughs> interesting very interesting and and i i hope people don't um you know i hope people don't have a go at us too late for that air time because well i know but you know you you look at some of the comments on twitter yesterday or i know and there was a lot of like i said you know when you told me you 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 said hey harry do you want to interview william's story i was a bit like do i want to like do i actually want to be do i can i can i do i want to be associated with this guy um but actually as I said on the podcast, the only stuff I've ever heard about him, stuff I've seen on the me in the media, that's the only stuff. And so, yeah, exactly. You know, we were, you know, we've now been put in a position where we can talk to some very interesting people, and he is an interesting person. And I just wanted to make my own mind up about the man and 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 see what he's actually yeah. like. And to be honest, I'm sat here now, and I still. I feel like I could go down the pub with him and have a decent time. But in the whole back of my, in the whole back of my mind, I used to have friends like this at school. In the whole back of my mind, you know, he goes to the toilet and you just look at your mate and go, he just talks absolute bullshit, doesn't he? And that he's yeah. that, that's the sort of persona I, I picked up from that. Yeah. I think Sorry, I'm sort William. of intrigued more now than I was before. Like I kind of want to get I've to know a bit. I've got more questions than answers. That's for sure. But yeah. that was always going to be the case, I think. Yeah. It was, it was, but very, very interesting. And, and hopefully, you know, people take it and, and face value and, and um, <laughs> don't kill us on Twitter. No, but, do. Uh, we'll see. The engagement we'll see. is brilliant. And I love it. <laughs> Clickbait. No, no. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed that. Thanks for joining me once Thank again, you. Harry. Thank and you. Um, 
quite like this little post podcast. I felt like we needed instant that, reaction. Though, this one, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go and sit in a room now and um, have a cup of tea and think about life. I've had three. I've had three missed calls. Happened. I have no idea what they're about, but I'm hoping they're not like, do not interview him. What, whatever you do, yeah, will ruin yeah. your career. It's it's Red Bull and Sky <laughs> Sports and <laughs> Liberty yeah. Media. Oh dear. Oh well, that was interesting. Either way, thanks for thanks for listening. It Let was. us know what you thought about it as well. You know, even if you are like, why the hell did you give him the time of day, or whether you actually thought it was quite interesting, or whether you thought it was a load of bullshit, or you were convinced by him, we would love to know your thoughts. See you for the next one. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.